microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Derek, Ken, and myself, Mike. How's everyone doing? Uh, I'm having a bit of de- uh, deja vu. <laughs> what are you trying yeah, to say? you guys have talked a couple of times, I think. <laughs> this will be the third. See, this is a good thing we like each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is Am I going to have to talk to your wives about something? <laughs> no. My jaw's starting to hurt. From talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, we've got some interesting stories this week. So I say let's go ahead and get right into it. One of the bigger stories is Daisy Ridley says she's done playing Ray after Star Wars Episode Nine. Say it ain't so. Uh, for those who are, uh, this comes from geektyrant.com. Uh, for those of you who are wondering if we still see the story of Ray continue past episode 9, it doesn't sound like it. Uh, during an interview with Rolling Stone, Ridley came out and said that she does not want to play Ray after episode 9, and here's how the conversation went down. No, she says flatly. For me, I don't. I didn't really know what I was signing on to. I hadn't read the script, but from what I could tell, it was a real, it was really nice people, people involved. So I was just like, awesome. Now I think I'm even luckier than I knew then to be a part of something that feels so like coming home now. But, um, doesn't that sort of sound like a yes? No, she says again, smiling a little. No, no, no. I am really, really excited to be doing a third thing and round it out because ultimately, what I was signing on to do, or signing on to, was three films. So in my head, it's three films. I think it will feel like the right time to round it out. So does that mean the Skywalker saga ends with Rey? And especially if she doesn't come back for more? Not necessarily. Who knows what kinds of twists and turns are in store? Plus, remember Kathleen Kennedy just said there's a possibility of more saga movies to be made. After episode 9, and what she previously said, I certainly foresee movies past 9. Whether we carry on the saga, Skywalker saga, you know, George always intended 9 movies. And whether we continue that or not is something we're talking about right now. If the story warrants it, we absolutely do it. If the ag- if it actually inspires a new, new ideas, then we'll probably head in that direction. We just don't know yet. Hmm. So, that answer sounds kind of like what they we heard after um, episode seven. Because remember, um, after a while, we found out that 
uh, whether or not it's true, JJ and all the rest were saying that they had no idea where episode 80 was going to go when they finished seven. Right. You did seven and said, okay, the rest is up to you, right. which kind of is a little weird. You're like, wait a minute. We know this is going to be a trilogy. Shouldn't you at least know where it's going to end? You would yeah. think. We would hope. It's like you should have a goal out there somewhere. Mm-mm. Yeah. But I like the idea that um, Daisy's messing with us because she's not playing Ray anymore. But if um, if the rumors turn out true where Ray um, kind of falls dark and Kylo comes back to light and um, we're not worried as much about in the gray, then really, if Ray turns Sith, then she wouldn't be Ray anymore, would she? No, but I, I think with her saying what she said, it it is she's not doing any more Star Wars films after three. Yeah, right. I, it, well, Harrison Ford said that too. True, and a lot of the other a lot of the other characters have said that. Um, even after the original trilogy, after the prequel trilogy, a lot of actors said, "I'm done." George said, "I'm done after three. Look where we're at now. Time, time heals all wounds, as they say. Yeah. So they say we do this for this trilogy. We get done. You let it set for ten, fifteen years. She may be ready to come back. This is true. Um, gives you room for Ryan Johnson's trilogy in the middle there. That his is supposed to be brand new characters, right? And uh, not part of the saga. So you let the saga set. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine what we what would be happening now, and with um, the way the fandom was very, very divisively split, which still is somewhat now, right after the prequels were done, after Revenge of the Sith. Imagine if George had tried to go right into doing another three after that. I don't think it would have done as well as what we have now. Uh, it's debatable. I know. I don't know about you guys. I definitely was wanting more sooner. And to hear, oh, this is it, and it, it was kind of a little heartbreaking. Yeah. We're not the average moviegoer. We're the guys that, no matter what it is, we're going to go see it on the screen if it says Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. I was there opening night to watch the Clone Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking back in the 80s. Yeah. So. During the dark times. Yes. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's just... I I don't know what they would do with Ray if she's not coming back. Do they leave it open and let her ride off in the sunset just in case? Or does she, or do they just kill her off? That way there's no chance of her coming back. Actually, a question that just popped into my head with this. She's talking about this, but could this be an indication that she's not a Skywalker of any kind? Because uh, they're saying they're deciding whether or not to continue with the Skywalker saga, but they did not say whether or not they're continuing with Rey. Right. She may not be a Skywalker, and maybe Kylo Ren is the Skywalker that this is focusing on. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Be too. Because we all know he is a Skywalker, even though he doesn't have that last name, Skywalker. Right. He's still from the house and lineage of Skywalker. Right. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. It's... I mean, or could there be a twist and there is another Skywalker out there? Finn. Remember, remember we, yeah. <laughs> remember we yeah. got that teeth empire of there is another. Right. Yeah. What's the chances of there's another, but it has not, it's not Ray or Kylo. It's Chewbacca. <laughs> it's Rose. Rose the mechanic. 
Yeah. Or DJ. Poe yeah, Dam- DJ. Poe Dameron. Yeah, you know, his piloting D- skills. DJ would be interesting. I think he's a little old to be one of the um, Skywalkers, um, either uh, Luke or the actor. Benicio Del Toro is, is a little on the old side to play Hamill or um, Carrie Fisher's son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, I suppose so. just a bit. He's what ten years younger than them. Yes, I think Probably. so. And we know they didn't get started young. No, when it comes to kids. No. <laughs> so um, in that though, you never know. True. Uh, you gotta love spitballs at the wall. Yeah. Well, I think this next story might be a bit of a spitball as well. Indeed. It might be. And interesting enough, it comes from sci-fi.com. And uh, Mark Hamill says the Force Awakens ending was changed at the last minute for The Last Jedi. Uh, like First line, there's no doubt that Mark Hamill's appearance in The Force Awakens was nothing more than a brief cameo, albeit a very exciting one. I suppose, technically, yeah, you could say that. Um, I saw him... I saw him on Ellen the other day, and he was talking about how he went in expecting to, you know, have a lot of stuff going on in The Force Awakens, and he was a little disappointed that it was just that one scene. <laughs> so, and- well, that, that explains why he was narrating this, um, the uh, what's called the read through of the script. He had nothing <laughs> yeah. better to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, in the latest M- issue of Empire. Hamill reveals the ending of The Force Awakens was changed at the last minute to ensure continuity with Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi. Hamill says, There was something that happened at the end of The Force Awakens when I'm standing on the cliff. I called Ryan in a panic because it was all wrong. He said, It's okay, I spoke to JJ and he's taking that scene out. It just didn't match up with what Ryan had written. Uh, Of course, the ending as we know it sees Ray. Discovering the exile of Luke, uh, and as she silently holds out his lightsaber to him before it cuts to the credits. Uh, uh, and then, uh, as we've seen just from the trails alone, he's he's going to be a little more prominently featured in The Last Jedi. So, perhaps there was some vital information... Uh, shared in those final moments with Ray that Johnson wanted to hold back for his own movie. Could it be that we were originally going to be given a big hint here at what's to come? Has Luke gone to the dark side? Was he really on that island all by himself? Well, no, he had porks. <laughs> Every day for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Twice um, on Tuesdays. <laughs> so, uh, then... Brian Johnson said, I asked if R2 could come with Ray and if BB-8 could stay behind with the Resistance. Originally, it was BB-8 who went with Ray, which makes sense for the story in a way, but I asked, can you do me this solid and switch the droids? It seems that Abrams was very happy to oblige. That makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, I think I've heard that one. Yeah, I've heard that one before. Right. I knew about that one. They, um, originally, it was supposed to be BB-8. Right, but, yeah. And they he asked to switch it to R2, which makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Especially when you see the clips from um, The Last Jedi and you see that BB-8 is um, Poe's um, personal droid for his fighter and stuff. 
Right. right. Well, he was in the beginning of Force Awakens as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unlike R2, because when um, Luke found R2, similar to the way Ray, um, Ray had found BB-8, R2 didn't have a specific job he was doing other than just trying to drop off the plans. Right. He was not a, anybody's personal droid for their fighter. It's true. And we all know we all know that R2 belongs with Luke, so they've been through a lot together. Or Ahsoka. Or Ahsoka. R2 E. Yeah. <laughs> Only with Luke. <laughs> well the funny thing is, depending on what part of the canon you go you go through, if you think about it. R2-D2 is the only um, being or consciousness in the entire galaxy that knows the whole story. If someone mm-hmm. could get him to say it, because supposedly, depending on what canon you're ta- what part of canon and where it is, astromechs don't get memory wipes. Or if they do, they're still part of their memory that is always there that you can't wipe because of the information they carry. Well, if you remember at the end of um, Revenge of the Sith... No, they say wipe the protocol droid. They never said anything about exactly. wiping the. So R two is sitting there. He knows the entire story from Naboo all the way to the end of the Last Jedi at this point. Yep. And has never told anybody. <laughs> but that's yeah. because well, you got to think of it. Also, he knows the whole story. He knows who all these people are, but no one's ever asked him because they don't know that he knows all this. Right. He has all of it. The entire Skywalker saga in his memory banks. That would be an interesting um, like book if all of a sudden um, Luke or Leia, someone actually sits down and asks R2 a couple of questions and finds out that he knows a whole lot more than what you would think. Yeah, no kidding. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. It'd be, very, it'd be interesting to hear how his how he tells it to with his, his first question. <laughs> And that'd be something like a book similar to a certain point of view. Yeah. Have you finished that, by the way? Oh, yeah. That was amazing. Was it? I'll have to check it out. So, um, I guess let's continue on to the next story. Okay. Well, uh, Screen Rant has an article about Adam Driver. I guess he was talking to, let me see. Uh, well, it says here that Adam Driver has confirmed that the title, Star Wars The Force Awakens, was re- actually referring to Kylo Ren as well as Rey. The relationship between two Force-sensitive characters who squared off for the first time in the climax of The Force Awakens is expected to be further explored in the soon-to-be Star Wars The Last Jedi, which we, we're all looking forward to. The Han Solo and Leia Organa, Kylo Ren is started off on the path to becoming a Jedi under the tutelage of Luke Skywalker before being tempted over to the dark side by Supreme Leader Snoke. Inspired by his worship of his dead grandfather, Darth Vader, Kylo destroyed um, Kylo destroyed Skywalker's new Jedi Order, joining the Knights of Ren and becoming a soldier for the First Order. When audiences meet Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens, he's already a powerful figure on his way to becoming a Sith Lord, but still has much to learn about self-discipline and containing his anger. Now, speaking of, okay, that's who it was. He was talking to Empire. Adam Driver talked about actually portraying a character who, unlike Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy, is not yet fully formed as a villain, but is still in a place where he could go either way. 
Right. Now, Driver revealed that, indeed, the title of The Force Awakens does not only refer to the movie's hero, Rey, um, and they have him quoted here as, we find, Darth, we find Darth Vader already completely committed. He was curious about starting... Um, he, I was curious about starting with someone who was less together, who was starting in a place of self-doubt. The title of The Force Awakens wasn't just referring to the light side, it was the dark side as well. And we know that from the original trilogy, from the prequels, that um, the Force works both directions. Right. If something happens to one, it affects the other. So if the light side is rising to strength, the dark side's usually um, falling away. When the dark side was rising, the Jedi were losing some of their ability. Right. So this means um, the Force is waking up and starting to move again, which makes sense for that title. Now it says, though Kylo Ren was clearly the bad guy in The Force Awakens, even killing his own father, Han Solo, spoiler alert, <laughs> in the film's most tragic moment, it is not clear yet that um, that the character will ultimately wind up becoming a fully realized agent of evil. One of the theories, which we've already talked about a little bit on here, um, holds that Star Wars is going to pull a switch with Kylo and Rey, placing Rey on the path of the dark side while Kylo finds himself on the road to redemption. Now, the Last Jedi trailer that um, has going, been going nuts on the internet, uh, and they've, shown it, they've recut it into all the different TV trailers and everything else, shows possibly a truce being struck between Kylo and Rey. Um, however, there are some who actually believe that the trailer is loaded with deliberate misdirects and gives away nothing of substance about what is actually set to go down in the movie. Now, um, though it seems unlikely that Lucasfilm would choose to make Rey into a villain, after already establishing her as the central hero, central hero of the new trilogy, creating millions of female and male fra- um, fans of Rey in the process, from a pure story standpoint, it would make a ton of sense for Rey to at least tempor- temporarily be tempted over to the dark side by Kylo Ren and Snoke. Uh, perhaps a little unintended push by Luke. Now, having been given a taste of uh, the ways of evil, Ray would then be set set up for a huge triumphant existence as a true hero of Episode Nine. Uh, then, as for Kylo Ren, it seems the character truly could go either way, despite his um, definitively evil actions in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Uh, maybe he finally goes or does take his last step in The Last Jedi to become fully committed to the dark side, or perhaps the door will be left open for him to ultimately return to the side of the good, redeeming both himself and the self-exiled former or failed Jedi Master Luke Skywalker in the process. So um, there's a lot of options back and forth, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, it's difficult to see which way it's going to go. And the trailers aren't helping because, like I said, we got yeah. a couple, one or two really good ones. Then everything else has just been rehashes of that in a different order, right? Which is all of that. Yeah, I like the yeah. way they've been handling it. So you don't, you still have no clue what's well, going on when you see at one point, oh, Ray's talking to um, to Kylo about I need your help. Then all of a sudden. It's now she's talking to Luke. Who's to say it's not gonna it's not gonna be someone else? Exactly. Well, the one thing we have learned from the trailers, though, if you watch it enough, 
Um, or if you look, ever a lot of people um, and myself was assuming that um, the scenes on Crate were going to be at the very beginning of the movie. Right. Similar to like Hoth. But the, no, I believe that. I think that's the end of the movie is that battle on Crate. Because the Millennium Falcon is flying through the mines underneath the surface and bl- blasts it out. And at the beginning of this movie, we know the Millennium Falcon's over on Octu. Right. Well, so says, Crate, I think, is the end of the movie. Uh, it could be mid-movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, it's after all the training scenes and everything that happens on Octu. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's going. It's going to get interesting to see and see where we go with this. Um, mm-hmm. Only fourteen. Well, at time of recording, only fourteen more days. Yay! So, yep, I get um, to see it a week from Thursday. Uh, we're going the Thursday after, so hopefully uh-huh. our last show of the year will be able to talk about it. I'm going on the sixteenth, which is a Saturday. Yeah, I'm going to take notes because I'm going to, and the one I'm going to is like, got the fan fest report and stuff like that. So I'm not sure what they're doing for all that. Okay. They had to pay, it was like $25 for the tickets. So wow. it better be something cool. Wow. <laughs> well, I think I get like trading cards, a small popcorn, and then I'm not sure what all else. Well, apparently in Disneyland, for 25 bucks, you get yourself an Ad At premium popcorn bucket. Ooh. I'm waiting for them to show up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to play this little ditty to kind of tie us into the next story. something to get us into the Christmas mood. Um, makers of Sheev on the Shelf are confident he'll outperform Porgs this holiday. Now, retreat in the moment of victory? That would be absolutely bonker balls, said Disney marketing manager Ann Wilkinson when asked if the company would be reducing the amount of advertising for their Sheev on the Shelf collectible. The scary doll is based on Galactic Emperor Sheev Palpatine, has quickly become the company's flagship product after selling out every holiday season since its debut in 2015. But this season, Lil Sheev is is set to face off against the heavily focused grouped Porgs, who have been designed with the sole intention of moving product among the 5 to 12 year olds in record numbers. (laughs) Now, don't believe the hype. Porgs are a derivative and are not that cute. Uh, we have faith in the modern children can smell sol- a solo's cash grab a mile away, says Wilkinson. What child would lose a non? What child would choose a non-essential, trivial piece of trash over a realistic doll based on a major player within the Star Wars lore? Uh, despite the overconfidence, early projections show Porg merchandise easily outselling Sheev on the shelf this year. Of course, the comparison isn't apples to apples, given that Porg merchandise numbers are in the tens of thousands, while Sheev on the Shelf is limited to only one product skew. 
Poor junk will be in the clearance bins by January. Meanwhile, Sheave on the Shelf is a true holiday classic that retains its resale value and teaches kids core values like ambition, discipline, and intergalactic domination. <laughs> so, that's the story. And uh, I'm going to stick to it. The Sheave on the Shelf is cuter than the Porks. Who would ever think Sheave would look so good? It's cuter than Minch on a Bench and Elf on a Shelf, too. Yeah. <laughs> so. So is it so Sheev on the Shelf, when you put him in there, instead of messing up the room or doing crazy things like that, you, you get um, zapped out of your sleep, right? Uh, only if you walk by as he shows up. Ah, okay. Yeah. So if you want to know more about the story, go check out fakingstarwars.net. I know the story. The story was a nice story to tie in with the holidays, but it wasn't mm-hmm. as good as last week's. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I thought this next story when we were talking about it before show, I thought this was a great story. Uh, and with everything else going on, um, yeah. How 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 do you not? Yeah, it's pretty relevant. So, this comes from GameRant.com, and it is a little bit about the whole controversy behind Battlefront 2 and their loot box system, uh, and the closing of Visceral Games, and the transition of of the Star Wars title from a linear game to a broader experience. Um, so fans, of course, have not been too pleased with EA as of late. And uh, a new petition has surfaced online that it encourages Lucasfilm to revoke EA's license to the Star Wars franchise. The petition currently has nearly 19,000 signatures, uh, but it is well on its way to reaching the intended stretch goal of 25,000. In the Change.org description, John Hunt reaches out to fans claiming that EA's usage of the Star Wars license in the last four years is proof that they, quote, honestly don't care about the gameplay experience or content, but instead prefer to rush out the next release and milk as much money from consumers as possible. It's not just the recent release and cancellation that Hurt takes issue with, uh, and the user recounts the often forgotten failures of the first Star Wars Battlefront title back in 2015. When the game first launched, it was relatively short on content, and while the experience looked and sounded better than any Star Wars title in history, the season pass provided the majority of the gameplay while splitting the fan base in half in the process. Uh, so in Battlefront 2, EA promised real change, Gamers eagerly eagerly awaited the release of the highly anticipated sequel. Unfortunately, it was soon announced that Battlefront 2 was plagued with pay-to-win issues stemming from an expensive loot box system. And though the publisher is quick to lower the ridiculous credit count required to buy heroes such as Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, the community is still unhappy with how EA is treating it. Uh, Unfortunately for Electronic Arts, the pay-to-win controversy has already gathered some real traction as official organizations begin to weigh in on whether or not loot 
boxes are a form of gambling. For now, the company's best move would likely be to make all loot boxes contain cosmetic items, though it's hard to judge whether this entire situation will be salvageable for anyone involved. And I have also heard that it has even affected their stocks, caused their stocks to fall. That's not good. Yeah. So... Well, I, mean, um, I do know that the um, post on Reddit or whatever that actually was the um, that about uh, the whole loot box thing was like the most downvoted Reddit thread of all time by huge amounts. Yeah. Like second place is not even you could split this into three posts and all three would still be number one. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about before. Maybe not necessarily in this podcast, but in other ones, how, you know, petitions really are kind of pointless in a way. But I don't know. I think EA needs to uh, needs to carefully consider what they do moving forward. Unless they don't care at all about the fans and, you know, then, hey, whatever. Right. But well, th- that's, that's the, yeah, with business. They- yeah. Well, what they said earlier about um, the EA is all about getting the money. It's like, that's the point of running a business, really. Uh, when you're talking to a company the size of EA, the bottom right. line is if they're making money. If they're making money, they're going to do it. Right. But the problem is EA is kind of notorious for doing things to upset the game players. Right. Yeah. And like- yet they still buy the games. Well, you know, what are you going to do with Battlefront 2? You can't not buy it. Yeah, I know. Although, you know, you could, but then, you know. Yeah. I don't know, it's just disappointing that all of this yeah. is going on. Well, the, instead of petitions, the best way to actually fight stuff like this is to, just like we were just saying, don't buy the game. Right, yeah. If you don't like the way they do this, don't buy the game. Eventually, enough people that don't buy the game, the company will take notice. Right. This so, is this is very true. So just like if you don't like the way a movie franchise is going, don't go see it. <laughs> but the problem is, it's easy to say that, but then, I mean, you know, you have to have a large amount of people do it. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, but I mean, we're talking about a Star Wars game here, and yeah. you know, it's not like, oh, I'll just play all these other Star Wars games that just came out. Not that many. Exactly. So that's the problem. I mean, you know, they kind of yeah. You you either you know play this one or you don't play any Star Wars games and. Mm-hmm. Right. Fine, I'll just go back home and play ba- or, um, Old Republic again. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just going to go to my local arcade and play the old Star Wars arcade game. Which one? The original one. The Vector uh, Effect that, one. I, I, pref- I preferred the um, Star Wars trilogy game from the late 90s. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. But it was also a quarter sucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because if you'd miss something, you died. You could always drop another quarter in there. Yep. And continue from where you were at. <laughs> yep. Well, let's continue on. How about, uh, ever wondered where the films were actually shot at? Why, yes, I have. Well, the great thing is, not only can you find out where they were shot at, you can actually go visit them. Imagine scheduling your 
the um, your dream vacation to go to the fifteen um, fifteen famous Star Wars filming locations. I'll still have the sets there. Of I love that. And how many uh, wives would actually want to go with you on this trip? Not one. <laughs> well, he can. Mine's almost as big a Star Wars fan as I am, so hey, I chose correctly. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the story number 15 is one that actually is probably the most famous of all the sites. It's right. uh, Luke Skywalker's home village on Tatooine, which actually it's the homestead. It wasn't actually a village. And um, uh, Matmata, Tunisia. Now, still to this day, the North African country of Tunisia remains the most recognizable and iconic location from the first two Star Wars trilogies because they use it again in the prequels. Now, if you visit the place Luke Skywalker called home before he joined the Rebel Alliance, head over to the um, City Driss Hotel in Matmata, um, where you'll feel like an honest-to-goodness moisture farm as you enjoy your stay in, tra- in traditional uh, troglodyte accommodations. Now, um... I'm trying to remember who it was that they they mentioned here that fans went back to rebuild the site. And that was actually, um, oh, what's his name? Drawing a blank now. Um, well, I know for a while. documentaries. Um, oh, I don't remember. But um, they went back three or four years ago and totally rebuilt the site because the site was um, being basically reclaimed by the desert already. Right. So, but... They actually give you the coordinates here. If you go there, you can actually go to the um, the igloo where, and they rebuilt the sets there. And the coordinates are um, thirty three degrees in fifty minutes. Um, thirty three degrees fifty minutes thirty four point five seconds north by seven degrees forty six minutes forty two point eight um, east is exactly where the location of of this is. They've actually built um, – they rebuilt the set to actually last now because originally it was basically just stucco on chicken wire. Yeah. <laughs> it looked good for the, like, week you were, that they were filming or the two weeks they were filming, and that was it. And that's just the way movie stuff is built usually. They don't build things to last long periods of time. They build it to look really, really good for the really, really short amount of time that they're going to see it. <laughs> right. Right. And they build it as cheap as possible. Because that's money you can spend on something else. Yep. Very true. Now, number 14 on the list here is the Ice Planet of Hoth. From the, um, Everybody knows from Empire Strikes Back. In um, Finns, Norway. Now, the Ice Planet Hoth serves as the location for one of the most memorable battles in all of Star Wars. All of the shots for the planet's frozen landscape in the Empire Strikes Back were filmed in the tiny Norwegian town of Finns with the actual Hoth battle scenes being filmed nearby on the Hardanger uh, Jokulin Glacier. My Swedish is not up to um, code. Yeah, or wait, my Norse? Your yeah, Norse. my Norwegian. It's all very similar. They're all Viking languages. <laughs> I should be good with that. Oh, well. Now, if you're up for a little adventure in the cold wilderness, Finn's is home to some breathtaking snowbound vistas that and has plenty of opportunities for cross-country skiing, sail skiing on frozen lakes, and expedition training. 
Just make sure you take a tauntaun with you just in case you get stranded and need something to make a sleeping bag out of. <laughs> just remember, they, sm- they smell better on the outside. Yes. The number 13 here was actually the rebel base on Yavin 4 from A New Hope. It's uh, Guatemala. Hmm. The town of Yavin has a rich history in the Star Wars universe. Its temples were built by mutated slaves to honor the ancient Sith Lord before location for the main base of the rebellion. And it was almost destroyed by the first death, first death star. Fittingly, the real world location is also an awe-inspiring place with of rich cultural history, which is interesting because that's all Legends canon at this point. That was um, the idea of the mm-hmm. Sith Lord thing, all from um, Tales of the Jedi comics, which right. was a great I thought, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, Tikal Guatemala is home to one of the largest complex Mayan civilization in the world. Those you see in the when the Millennium Falcon takes its landing on the forest moon, aren't CGI. They're actually real stone structures that date back centuries. They weren't uh, or anything either. Those were actually, you you can go to that place and see them standing there. Sounds like a Beatles song. Yeah, exactly what popped into my head too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in number 12, we can go to the Naboo Forest from episode one. Whippendale Woods Watford, England. Can we go hunting Jar Jar? You can try. <laughs> Used to portray the forest of Naboo, Whippendale Woods in Watford, England, served as the place where Jedi Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi had their first encounter with the most disliked Star Wars character of all time, Jar Jar Binks. I don't know. I, I, we, we've established on here, I have love for Jar Jar. Jar Jar is fun. <clears throat> <laughs> I know not everybody agrees with me, but that don't matter. <laughs> long before. Now, in the Phantom Menace, Jar Jar's Gungan race lived in underwater cities that were connected to the forest. However, since there are no actual bodies of water within Whippendell Woods, all the water scenes were created using digital effects. Then ah, we go to... Mori, Mori. <laughs> That's right. You tell him, Jar Jar. Now, Anakin's home village on Tatooine from episode one, they went back to Tunisia again in um, Even before the set designers came in and prepared the location for shooting, Metanine was already a visually fascinating place full of wondrous architecture. The major town that became the setting for Anakin Skywalker's home is basically a man-made maze of un- outs- or on the outskirts of the Sahara. In pre-colonial times, it was the most important trading town for hundreds of miles, and merchants would risk their lives crossing the Sahara Desert just to get there. Now, Star Wars fans will be delighted to note that roughly 400 kilometers away in the capital city of Tunis, there's a hotel that many people speculate was the inspiration for the Jawa's or the the Jawa sound, Sandcrawler in A New Hope. Hmm. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Now, that one I actually hadn't heard about. Next up, we got number 10. It's the planet Alderaan from episode 3 in Grindelwald, Switzerland. See, I thought this was all matte painting and stuff. I didn't know this was actually a real landscape that they had painted on. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Han Solo's looking for love in Alderaan places. Ay, 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 ay. 
Now, yes, everyone w- is aware that Princess Leia's lush homeworld was famously obliterated in A New Hope, but the real-life location they used for filming is still very much intact. The shots of the of the Sith were actually at a resort in Grindelwald, Switzerland. Featuring a stunning view, Grindelwald is a wintry paradise for outdoor adventure, bogging, hiking, and great skiing people of all skill levels. And you have to be a fan of movies like Golden Compass or the James Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. You'll be delighted to know that both of the, those films were shot hit there as well. Hmm. That. Next up, we have the Moss Eisley who is filmed at uh, Ajim Jerba. I'd never even heard of that. <laughs> DJ ERBA. Jerba, I believe. Yeah. Well, uh, many Star Wars fans might be surprised to learn that the most wretched hive villainy um, in the galaxy is actually an abandoned derby or that. In a bakery located in a tiny sponge fishing town on an island off the coast of Tunisia. If you visit Ajim, you'll not only be able to find the place where Han shot Greedo, you'll also be able to check out Obi Wan's home and the Stormtrooper checkpoint. You're both within walking distance. Don't be surprised if the Mos Eisley Cantina looks a little run down. It hasn't been restored since the original filming in, 19, in the 1970s, and as such, is quite dilapidated. dilapidated. Next up, number eight, the interiors for Queen Amidala's Naboo Palace from episodes one and two are the Royal Palace of um, Casterna in Naples, Italy. The most impressive scenes in the saga and Queen Amidala's Royal Palace on Naboo. And unlike the exterior of the palace, which had a lot of CG elements added to it in post-production, most everything you see in the interior was crafted by human hands. <laughs> However, the set designers probably didn't have a lot to, or had to do a whole lot, considering the scenes were being filmed in an actual royal palace. Uh, the Regia di Caserta is one of the largest, most magnificent 18th century built existence. It was originally built for the King of Naples, but today it's open to the public and remains one of Southern Italy's most popular tourist attractions. I can see that. There's a lot of people that, actually, like we said, taking your Star Wars vacation, there's a lot of people that do take Star Wars vacations. Yeah. One day. Well, yeah. Well, number seven is the exterior of Queen Amidala's Nabu Palace from episode two. And that's Plaza de Espana, Seville, Spain. Oddly enough, going from outside or inside the palace to outside the palace actually involves a trip halfway across Europe. From the Royal Palace of Caserta in southern Italy to the Plaza de Espana in southern Spain. Using a little movie magic, the Star Wars special team was able to double the size and perspective of the Plaza de España, which was used as the exterior for the theater where Anakin and Padme arrive. The actual Plaza de España is a semicircle surrounded by a moat with four bridges. In Attack of the Clones, digital artists expanded the plaza to make it a full circle and also added in towers and green domes' distinctive Naboo look. The Plaza de España was built in 1989 for the Ibero 
American Exposition, ah, Exposition, and today features over a half a mile of tiled fountains, walls, and pavilions populated with ponds and orange trees. Some of the pavilions from the exp- exhibition have also been converted into museums, showcase all of amazing archaeological collections. Then we go to um, number six, the road to Jabba's palace from the um, Return of the Jedi. It's Death Valley in Eastern California. No kidding. Huh. That figures Jabba's palace is in Death Valley. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to go to Jabba's. Well, Jabba although didn't mo- want to go out there. Uh-huh. Well, although most of the scenes that take place on Tatooine were shot in Tunisia, a couple of key moments in A New Hope and Return of the Jedi were filmed in California's Death Valley National Park. One of those scenes occurred Luke Skywalker's Kenobi for the first time. That scene was actually filmed between the Sierra Nevada Mountains and the Mojave Desert. Another location that's become a popular popular tourist attraction is 20 Mule Team Canyon, which was as the road that C-3PO and R2-D2 take to Jabba's pal- Jabba the Hutt's palace in episode f- not, ah, 6. Right. Next up, which this one would be hard to find, I think, because there's really not a pit there. The Great Pit of Carcoon and t- on Tatooine from episode 6. The Yuma Desert in Arizona. Another iconic Star Wars moment taking place on Tatooine that wasn't filmed in Tunisia is the fight above the Great Pit of Carcoon in Return of the Jedi. The Great Pit of Carcoon, of course, is home to the Sarlacc, a dangerous carnivorous creature that Jabba likes to feed his prisoners to from time to time. Although Jabba met his end at the hands of Leia during the skirmish, the ultimate fate of his pet Sarlacc remains unknown. So if you're so if you're a Star Wars fan and ever happen to find yourself wandering around the Arizona's Yuma Desert, sure Buttercup Valley, where they filmed the scene. Who knows? Maybe you'll even find signs of Boba Fett's escape. <laughs> the next up, Anik uh, Patry's Lakeside Retreat in, on Naboo is at Como Lake, Italy. In Attack of the Clones, Anakin and Padme hide out at a beautiful lakeside haven, which, in reality, happens to be one of the world's leading destination wedding locations. Hmm. Villa Albionello is located at the end of the uh, peninsula on Lake on Como Lake in Italy. It was originally built for the Cardinal Angelo Maria uh, Dorini in 1787 and is still only reachable by boat. Wow. Now, if you visit Lake Como or Como Lake, you'll find that it's surrounded by numerous waterfalls or waterfront villas that have been built over a century by the internationally wealthy. Ferries frequently travel up and down the lake, and the region is known world or is world renowned for its cultural and gastronomic attractions. Hmm. <laughs> Seriously, the place is so staggeringly romantic, you'll probably want to create recreate Anakin and Padme's balcony kiss the moment you arrive. The next one's actually from episode seven, and it's the planet Jakku, which is in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Um, rather, rather than return to Tunisia for filming all those desert scenes in The Force Awakens, Abrams decided to use the Rubal Kali Desert in Abu Dhabi as the setting for Ray's home in Jakku. 
Unfortunately, for all or fortunately for any diehard Star Wars fans interested in making the journey there, unlike the Asia set that were left intact after filming of the first trilogy, we're happy that all of the Jack sets were torn down and removed. So no add at Probably no. not. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. I know. If I remember if I remember right, they also ended up moving to Abu Dhabi because it was a little safer to film there. Yeah. Because if I remember, to this day, Tunisia is politically not a good, not a great place to go try to visit. Well, mm. apparently there is, I've, I've heard terror cells that are yeah. taking over some of the set locations in Tunisia. Or nomads. Yeah. So it's one of those that if you, if you want to go visit the Tunisia sets and stuff, Check with the with us. It'd be to check with the State Department and just to see if this is a place that you should be going, <laughs> mm. and to take that into consideration. Yeah. Well, we got two locations left. Um, one of them, this is one I'd love to get to because I know everybody can still go there because they didn't build this set. This was automatic; was already there. We have Luke Skywalker's Hermitage from Episode Seven at Skellig Michael, Ireland. H.J. Abrams might have devoted almost the entirety of The Force Awakens to finding the place where Luke Skywalker was hiding. But thankfully, your search won't have to be quite so strenuous. Skellig Michael is an island off the coast of southwest Ireland, used as the filming location for Luke's secret sanctuary. It's a stunningly beautiful place that has been recognized as the UNESCO World Heritage Site and is also home to a 17th century monastery. Although tourists are allowed access to the site, getting there might be a little tricky. The remote location is difficult to access, and there's only about a dozen local boatmen who have licenses or have the licenses required to make the weather-dependent trip. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard about that too. You may have tickets, but if the weather is not cooperating, you're not going. <laughs> no go. So, no refund. In for filling. Yeah, that's right. So. The final location is the forest moon of Endor from the Return of the Jedi, the Redwood State Park in Northern California. Oh, yeah. Of all of all the particular or peculiar puppet creations and animatronic aliens in the original Star Wars trilogy, few are remembered as fondly as the furry hunter-gatherer teddy bear-like race known as the Ewoks. To portray the Ewoks' homeworld on the forest moon of Endor, the Return of the Jedi film crew shot in and around Northern California's Redwood National and State Parks. To find the location of the second Death Star shield generator, look no further than um, Jebediah Smith Redwood State Park. Or if you want to recreate the famous speeder bike chase with Luke and Leia, grab some mountain bikes and check out both the Grizzly Creek Redwood State Park and Humboldt Redwood State Park. All the Redwood State Parks have miles and miles of hiking and nature trails and are home to an incredible variety of wildlife, including black bears and mountain lions. The trails can be explored either on foot or by bike and should provide enough adventure for any Star Wars fan. So if you want to do a Star Wars vacation, you don't have to leave the country if you don't want to. (laughs) Might be safer that way. So that is the 15 m- most famous locations that Star Wars was shot at. Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, 
with the locations, you could read about them a little bit in the uh, in the books that are coming out. So, like next week, uh, we've got Canto Bite that's coming out, the hardback from Delray, and it's being written by uh, Saladin Ahmed, Ray Carson, Mia Grant, and John Jackson Miller. Uh, also coming out next Tuesday is Star Wars: The Last Jedi Collector's Edition. It's a hardcover from Titan Magazines. Uh, Darth Vader number nine. It's Legacy's End Part Three uh, from Marvel Comics comes out on the sixth, along with Star Wars Volume Six: Out Among the Stars, the graphic novel collecting issues thirty-three through thirty-seven, and Annual Number Three. Basically, the last stuff of uh, Jason Aaron. Oh yeah. So, uh, that's here in the U.S. The British releases, for our British friends, or those in Europe, is Wednesday, Darth Vader, uh, from Marvel. Or actually, sorry, wrong month. Canto Bite, uh, the Last Jedi Collector's Edition, Darth Vader, uh, and Star Wars Volume 6. Are the fine, are the books all coming out? So cool. Nick Cancel Bite novel, isn't that basically um similar to um what they've done wasn't that more of an anthology novel? A collection of short stories that happened on Cancel Bite? Yes, it's four short It's a collection yeah. of four short stories that will focus on creatures from the glamorous casino world. So it's gonna be similar to your um actually to from a certain point of view, really. Yeah. Except we'll be specifically telling the story that we see in the movie. Correct. But it would be like the old Tales of the Bounty Hunters and um, the Tales from Moss Eisley Cantina and Jabba's Palace and all those books. Right. Which, those ones were always fun, I thought. I thought so, too. So, that's all I got for the books. Um, I did find over on StarWars.com, though, uh, I don't know if we talked about this, um, but it's popped back up on their homepage, and it's from beginning of November. Um, you can become a resistance mechanic in the new VR experience, Star Wars Droid Repair Bay. Did we talk about this story? I don't think so. Well, to continue on, the astromechs of the, of the resistance are in need of repair, and it's up to you to fix them. Uh, I am ILM, X-Lab, and Lucasfilm today announced a new VR experience. Star Wars Droids Repair Bay, astromech for the resistance in which participants repair BB-8 and other astromechs, depending on... Prepared by Nissan. Not depending. Why was I saying depending? I don't know. Uh, The VR experience is coming soon to select dealerships in the U.S., Mexico, Canada, and is being developed for the HTC Vive, or HTC Vive and Samsung Gear. Um... In Star Wars Droid Repair Bay, participants take on an important role. Astromech technician aboard General Leia's ship. Uh, participants will be willing to completely envelop, <coughs> be completely enveloped in VR, making your own movements to interact with and repair. Um, so, oh, I got lost. Sorry. Uh, Star Wars Droid Repair Bay is the official VR experience connected to the Star Wars The Last Jedi, and we'll see the debut of brand new astromechs, complete with their own unique personalities and original designs. Um, so, in most of these, when they say astromechs, what we're mainly seeing is the BB series droids. 
So, yeah. Well, I've also heard a um, little more to this story other than what's here. Uh, I guess uh, since BB-8's in this, this actually does tie into The Last Jedi where it's either um, – it's one of those – this doesn't give any spoilers at all for the movie, but it's one of those that either um, – this is right before or right after one of BB-8's scenes. So when you see him, either when he comes into here, you know where he came from if you watch the movie, or it's the other way around. When he leaves, you know where he's going to do it. Or what right. he's going to do if you've seen the movie. Right. But if you haven't seen the movie, you'd have no idea other than just you're doing this VR thing. Right. Hmm. So it sounds like an interesting idea and concept. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. just expands the scene. I think so. I really do. Uh, and I know the, the VR experience down here at Walt Disney World is supposed to be opening soon as well. Yeah. So uh, that'll be cool. When, when that occurs. So, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Any final oh, thoughts? Okay. Yes, I have one final thought. Uh, the entire cast, well, not the entire cast, but <clears throat> a lot of the cast of The Last Jedi was on Jimmy Kimmel tonight, which I have recorded but not watched yet. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> so... Well, check that out. You should be able to watch it if you forgot to record it. You should be able to watch it on uh, on demand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, or just check YouTube. It'll be up there in about twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, if it's not there already. Any other final thoughts? I think that's about it. So, who wants the honor of saying that final phrase that we all love to say? Go for it, Ken. I was going to give it to Mike because you know he loves it. <laughs> Go ahead, Ken. Well, it's time to wrap up. Bye-bye. <laughs> give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Shit! I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>